look again at this great golden chain. I want to begin reading in verse 26. This is the word of God. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for, as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. So we are studying the links in this unbreakable chain of verses 29 and 30. The chain has five links. Foreknowledge, predestination, calling, justification, and glorification. And these links cannot be separated one from another. Those who are foreknown are predestined. And on down the line, so that at the end of it all, we can say that every person foreknown by God will be glorified by Him. God will not lose one of His foreknown, foreloved people. They are eternally secure in His love. So last Sunday evening, we looked at the first link in the chain. We studied this word foreknown and tried to understand what it means. And we saw that what it means is that God set His special love upon a people in eternity past. That just as He had known Israel among all the nations, or as He had known Jeremiah even before Jeremiah was conceived. So God has known a people set apart for Himself. Now, this moves us to our second link. It is because God has chosen these people and set His love upon them that He now predetermines their destinies. Once God has set His love upon a people... He is determined to make sure that they have a blessed and a happy end. What moved God to predestine people to salvation? It was His love for them. It was His having foreknown them. It was them having been set apart by Him. These are His special people. He will not see them thrown into the furnace of His righteous wrath. No way. And so He predestines them for glory. Now what I want to do to deal with the second link of our chain 
is to ask seven important questions. Since there are seven of them, we won't get to spend a whole lot of time on any of them, but I do hope this will be helpful to us as we seek to unpack just how good our God has been to us. So the first question is this. What is the grounds of our predestination? What is the grounds of our predestination? We have seen that God has set His love on certain people and that this love moves Him to predestine them to glory. But what made the difference between those who were foreknown by God and those who weren't? For example, dear Christian, why were you chosen by God when so many others were not? What moved God to set His special saving love on you? Well, the Bible is clear that there is nothing in us that moved God to choose us. We cannot point to anything about ourselves or in ourselves that attracted God's attention or affection or moved Him to prefer us over anyone else. Rather, our being foreknown and predestined is grounded only in the sovereign plan of God. Israel might have wondered why they, of all the nations of the earth, were chosen by God and set apart and loved by Him. Listen to God deal with this in Deuteronomy 7. He says to Israel, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The word holy meaning set apart. You are a people holy, set apart to the Lord your God. And the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God tells Israel that it was nothing in them that caused Him to choose them. Rather, it is Him fulfilling His own sovereign plan He has been faithful to the promises He made, promises He chose freely to make. Why? Because He wanted to, for His own glory. You see, we can never boast in Romans 8.29 concerning ourselves. We can never boast that we have been foreknown or that we have been predestined. No, we had nothing to do with it. It was entirely of God. Romans 9 verse 10 says, Not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. You see, Jacob was chosen over Esau, before either was born, before either had done anything good or bad. Jacob could never boast in God having saved him and renamed him Israel. Jacob could never boast that he got to be the father of the great nation of Israel. No, 
that came about only because of the sovereign prerogative of God. It was sheer mercy towards Jacob. It wasn't random. It wasn't happenstance. It wasn't God flipping a coin and the coin fell on Jacob instead of Esau. No, it wasn't chance. But it was also nothing in Jacob. It was the plan of God, period. And so it is with us who by God's grace have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. All we can do is fall on our faces and say, thank you God for saving me. Question number two. Is predestination biblical? Is predestination biblical? Certainly everyone acknowledges that this word is in the Bible. I mean, there it is. Romans 8, 29. It, it pops out to us. It, it's, it's there. In fact, six different times in six different verses in the New Testament, we have this precise word, predestination, predestined, predestined, predestined. But does God actually teach that he has predetermined who will be saved and the answer of course is yes because we've already seen that God has foreknown his people that he has set his love upon them and what does he do he writes down their names in a lamb's book of life written before the foundation of the world And even before history begins, he determines that his people will be saved and will be found spotless in Christ on the last day. They will go to heaven. Here is just a tiny slice of the evidence. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. It's Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. You do not need a degree in biblical Greek to understand those verses. They mean exactly what they sound like they mean. That God chose his people and in his love for them, he predestined them to be his children. He predestined them for holiness. He predestined them to be a part of his church, his beloved Acts 13 48 when the Gentiles heard this they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed lots of people heard the gospel it was those appointed to eternal life who believed second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13 says this we ought always to give thanks to you always give thanks to God for you brothers beloved by the Lord because God has chosen you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through the gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's actually amazing how that passage in Second Thessalonians parallels our verses right here in Romans 8. Every link of the golden chain found in Romans 8, 29, and 30 is found in those two verses that is, is found in Second Thessalonians. Um, in those verses that Paul uh, 
speaks in to the Thessalonians, he says three things. He says they're loved by the Lord. He says because they are loved, they have been chosen. And because they have been chosen, they have been called effectually to salvation. Uh, The main point I want you to see is this. Paul tells the Thessalonians that the reason they were called to salvation, the reason they have believed, the reason they are being sanctified by the Spirit, the reason they are going to obtain the glory of Christ Jesus is this. They were loved by God and were chosen from the beginning for these blessings. It had been the decree of God that these people, a small remnant in the city of Thessalonica, would receive these blessings. Second Timothy 1 verse 9, God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Before the ages began, God determined that in his son, he would give some people saving grace. And those are the people that receive that inward effectual call of the spirit that brings them to Christ in another context another church I perhaps would give more and more and more evidence but I I think we're settled on this question that predestination is biblical at the end of the day most people's struggle with predestination is not a textual one anyway it's an ethical one more people struggle with this doctrine because they wonder this third question and this is our third question Is predestination just? Is it just? How can it be right for God to choose some people and not others? How can it be right for God to determine that some will go to heaven and not others? Well, there are two biblical answers to that question. First, were it not for the cross of Jesus Christ, it would not be just for God to save anybody. Were it not for the cross of Christ, God would be unjust to determine that anybody can go to heaven. Remember, God does not owe us anything. You and I are corrupt through and through by nature. The great question is not, why doesn't God save everyone? The question is, why would God save anyone at all? How can God be holy and just and yet Determine that criminals like us will experience his blessings in heaven forever? What would we say of a ruler or a judge who made peace with a criminal, refusing to punish that criminal for his crimes? Throughout the Bible, judges who do not uphold justice are condemned by God. And so God cannot be God and determine that sinners like us get to be treated with kindness. God saving us, blessing us, giving us heaven. This is God being unjust. This is God being unfair. Hell is what justice demands for us. This is the ethical obstacle that was so great that it took Jesus coming to earth and dying for his people to overcome it. Christ had to come and take our sins upon himself and to be punished as though he had committed our sins. Christ had to come and bear our punishment in our place so that God could be just and the justifier of those who believe it is only because of the cross that God is just to determine that anybody gets to go to heaven. So that's the real ethical question. 
But that's not the ethical question that most people have in mind when they ask about predestination. Their ethical question is this one. How can it be that God will mercifully choose to save some and not mercifully choose to save others? In fact, sometimes they even imagine in their mind's eye that there are people who want to be saved, people who want to believe on Jesus, and they can't because they're not predestined. And they picture other people who don't want to be saved and who don't want to believe, but they get brought to heaven kicking and screaming because God had determined that they would go to heaven. But this is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible declares that all mankind is dead in their sin. All mankind is now an enemy of God and at enmity with Him and His ways. Every person, every person, is by nature running quickly towards hell. And all are too blind to recognize the depths of their own sinfulness or the dreadfulness of that place to which they are headed. There are none seeking God. There are none seeking to truly love Him or obey Him. We have all become worthless. We have all turned aside. There is no fear of God in the hearts of men. There are no people that are desiring to be with God in heaven. There are no people that are desiring to believe on Jesus, but they can't because they haven't been predestined. No. By nature, all of us reject God. The condition of humanity is such that if God does not intervene, heaven will be empty and hell will be full. If God simply gives an invitation for people to be saved, but He does not determine for the Holy Spirit of God to actually change the hearts of some of them, no one will respond to His invitation. The crickets will chirp in heaven because nobody will be there. And hell will be full. But God has intervened. He could have chosen to save everybody, causing every person to be born again and to trust in Christ. That's not what He's chosen to do. He also could have chosen to save nobody and to let all of mankind receive their just reward. But thankfully, He has not chosen that option either. Rather than saving all or saving none, in order that he may display both the glory of his justice and the glory of his mercy, he has chosen to save some. Every person whom God has chosen finds their lives interrupted at some point by the Holy Spirit and awakened to faith in Jesus Christ. All those people that God has not chosen, they live out their lives in rebellion against him. No one goes to hell who does not deserve to be there. And no one goes to heaven who does deserve to be there. So why did God choose to save some and not all? Well, you know the passage. We've seen it before many times. Romans 9. You can see the next page in your Bible if you want. Romans 9, beginning in verse 19. Verse 19, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? This is another way of saying, how can God hold human beings responsible for not believing if he has decreed that they're not going to believe? Who can resist the sovereign will of God if he has decreed these people will not be saved? How can he find fault with them? Verse 20, 
Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honored use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared prepared beforehand for glory? In other words, ultimately, it is for the glory of God and the joy of his people that some people have been prepared by him as vessels of mercy and others have been prepared by him as vessels of wrath. Is God just to save some and not others? Absolutely. The fact that God shows mercy to some does not obligate him to show mercy to all. Our fourth question is this. Is double predestination biblical? Is double predestination biblical? You see, some people still are not convinced that God is just and righteous to save some and not others, and therefore to try and get God off the hook in their minds, they say, yes, God predestined Christians to go to heaven, but he didn't predestine anyone to go to hell. He just didn't predestine them to go to heaven. This is single predestination. God only positively predestined those people that He has chosen to go to heaven, but He did nothing in regards to those people who are going to hell. Double predestination says no. God has predetermined the ultimate end of everybody. Those who go to heaven were predestined to go there, and those who go to hell were predestined to go there as well. Another name for this is reprobation. You may have heard that word before. This is God's appointing for some people to never be saved and to go to hell. These people are sometimes called reprobates. So which is right? Did God actually predestine for those people who go to hell to go there? Is double predestination biblical? Well, the answer has to be yes. You see, there is no way for sinners to avoid going to hell unless God chooses to save them and bring them to heaven. So logically, when God chooses those He will save and passes over others, He is in that very act of passing over them, consigning them to the end of hell. In other words, single predestination is something that is illogical. It doesn't make sense. But even more to the point, there are verses in the Bible that make clear that God has consigned people to hell. I know how unpopular this particular doctrine is, and so I'm trying to preach it very soberly. I'm also trying to preach it with the remembrance that you and I deserved hell and that it is only the grace of God that we're not going there. For example, in Jude 4, we have this verse. 
For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And so Jude speaks of false teachers and false believers in the church And he says that they are condemned by God, but he says that they were long ago designated for this condemnation. These false teachers will be among those who will hear Jesus say, I never knew you on the last day. And they were designated for that before they were ever born. Or consider 1 Peter 2, verses 7 and 8. Listen carefully to this. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Peter is talking about Jews who rejected Jesus Christ. He says Jesus is the cornerstone of true religion, the cornerstone of the true church, and many Jews stumbled over this cornerstone. Jesus himself in Matthew 21 said that when a person stumbles over this stone, that stone will break that person to pieces. In other words, stumbling over Jesus means to fail to believe in Him and therefore to go to hell. And Peter says that these Jews failed to believe in Jesus because they disobeyed the Word. They disobeyed the Scriptures, the Gospel, the call to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They would not believe. They stumbled over the cornerstone Though they had the Scriptures all pointing to Jesus, they failed to heed its message. And Peter says their stumbling was destined by God. They stumble because they disobey the Word as they were destined to do. So the Bible does teach double predestination. It does not teach that anyone goes to hell unjustly. Every person in hell deserves to be there. God's sovereignty does not deny human responsibility. I cannot make it all work out clearly in our heads for everyone. But it's absolutely true and we must hold both of them together. We can say that in accordance with God's sovereign plan, He has chosen for certain people to go to hell. And if nothing else, this should teach us that He is no tame God and that we ought to fear this God and that we ought to revere this God and that we ought to give our God the all and the respect that He deserves. We are foolish to treat this God flippantly. Question five. More positively, since this verse is about us who have been predestined for heaven. What have we been predestined for? This is question five. What have we been predestined for? And you might say, Justin, we've been predestined for salvation. Or Justin, we've been predestined for eternal life. 
Or Justin, we've been predestined for heaven. And that's absolutely true. But when Paul talks about predestination in the New Testament, he always seems to have one destination in mind. Christ-likeness. Do you see it in our verse? Christians have been predestined to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and then to be made like the Lord Jesus Christ. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. This is God's appointed end for you. We will one day be like Jesus We will one day be holy and pure in body and in soul. Our Savior is good and kind and just and merciful and righteous and overflowing in love. Our Jesus is patient and gentle and sacrificial and full of deep, deep joy. And God has determined that this will one day describe you. You are in process right now. But if you are a Christian, this is your appointed end. This is the destination in predestination. When we read about being glorified at the end of this great golden chain, this is what being glorified means. It means Christ-likeness. Being like Jesus with a perfected body and a perfected soul. Our hearts ablaze with love for God, reflecting in ourselves His holy character, the character of His Son. Number six. Number six. Does predestination only include the ends or also the means? Does predestination mean simply that God determined our ultimate end Or did He determine our ultimate end and all the means that bring us there? Well, some, trying to protect free will, argue that God only predestines the ends and not the means. They say, yes, God has chosen who will go to heaven or to hell, but He has not predestined what will happen in our lives to bring us to our respective place. Now, not only does that view lack any logical sense, but it is clearly refuted by our passage. Our passage doesn't say that those whom God foreknew, He predestined, period. No, it goes on to tell us all the things that God did to bring about our full salvation. God did not just predestine for us to be glorified. He predestined for us to be called which means He predestined for us to hear the Gospel. However, it happened for you. And for you to be born again. That was something God had determined for your life. He predestined for you to be justified, which means He determined that you would be given faith in Jesus Christ to believe. He predestined for us to be ultimately glorified, which means He predestined for our faith to last He predestined that our faith would be upheld until our final breath through the means of grace, the word, the prayer, the church. In other words, God's predestination does not just apply to your final dwelling place. Every moment of your life falls under the umbrella of God's predestination. You can't plan the end without planning the means. 
David says in Psalm 139, 16, In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Proverbs 16, 9, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes or orders his steps. Well, question seven. This is our final question. What is predestination really all about? What is predestination really all about? Why has God chosen to save some people for himself? Well, our answer is the second part of verse 29. The second part of verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Dear Christian, at the end of the day, your salvation isn't really about you. It's about Christ. Predestination and all that it includes is about Jesus and your calling and your justification and your adoption and your sanctification. It's it's all about Jesus. God has purposed that there be a glorious family in which Christ will stand as the elder brother. We who are saved are a part of this family. And in the new heavens and the new earth, we will look up to our elder brother with adoration and with reverence and with love forever. Colossians 1.18 spells it out for us. Paul there says, And He, Christ, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. That word firstborn is the same word used in our verse here in Romans 8. Jesus is the firstborn of the family He is the first to be glorified as a human being. Jesus is the head of a new race. He is the king of a new kingdom. And we are being given by God to Him. God the Father has predestined us for salvation so that Jesus will get to experience what the Father experiences. The Father knows what it is to have an image of Himself, His Son, that He looks upon and loves God the Father sees his image Jesus Christ and he rejoices because what he sees in Jesus is all perfection and goodness and beauty well now in the new heavens and the new earth Jesus is going to have for himself an entire community of people bearing his image Jesus is going to have a whole family, multitudes from every tongue, tribe, and nation bearing His image. And He will look upon them in their holiness. And He will love them and He will rejoice. He will treasure them. He will continue to bless them and bless them and bless them in His deep satisfaction in who they are by His own blood. These people will be in heaven only because of His great love and sacrifice for them. Jesus is their eternal shepherd and their eternal Lord. And they will love Him and worship Him and adore Him forever. See, here is the great goal of the Father in our salvation. That Jesus Christ be preeminent. That He be the elder brother. 
that he be the one to whom we look and love and reverence and respect. That's what it's all about, church. That's what it's all about. And so I ask you, is Jesus preeminent in your heart and in your life? Can you say that even now, Jesus is everything to you? Do you see how your salvation rests entirely upon Him? God would not have even been just to predestine you for salvation were it not for Jesus being willing to die for you and purchase you for heaven. For all eternity, we will be praising our Savior. But are you praising Him now? For all eternity, Jesus will be the thrill of your heart. But is He the thrill of your heart now? Do you see how greatly you have been loved? Are you humbled at the amazing reality that the Father has chosen you and that the Son has died for you. Be humbled and be amazed and live in light of this great salvation you've received. Let's pray.